a group of visiting Japanese school kids were there, and <laughs> one of them came up and told me that I was famous. I was a hero in Japan. In Japan? <laughs> I said, who knew? You know, I never get out there. Ken Grevy Jr. and Rick Kaminsky. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> in 1939, I made $250 a month, plus $3 a day meal money, which wasn't an awful lot. But I had a lot of incentive clauses in my contract. Well, now that I've had the uh, wisdom of a few years to look back, I knew it was the right move. But at the time, everybody went silent because we never believed it was true. It just couldn't be true. Um, I'm not sure that any time you lose a hero that you believe of that is actually happening. But. That's Rick Kaminsky, Ido Vanni, and Chester Rito. What do all these individuals have in common? They all love baseball and participated at different levels in baseball and are participating now in the greater Seattle-Tacoma area. Let's start with Rick, better known as the Peanut Man. He was throwing peanuts in the Kingdome and in Safeco Field for 24 years until his untimely death in 2011. His peanut tosses were so incredible that they would be featured on the highlight films of ESPN Sports Center, along with the review of the great plays in Major League Baseball of the day. I caught up with Rick in the mid-1990s, and I want to replay this interview, along with a similar interview I had with Eno Vanni. He was born in Seattle, went to Queen Anne High School when it was here. If you remember Six Stadium, it was located in Rainier Valley, where Lowe's Home Improvement now sits. He got the first hit, scored the first run, and also led the Seattle Rainiers at the time to three consecutive Pacific Coast League championships. Chester Rito is one of the hosts for the Dugout Club with the Tacoma Rainiers. And uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I am one of the part owners of the Rainiers. And he is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to baseball. And I want to relate an interview I had with him just a couple weeks ago about what it was like growing up in Brooklyn and following baseball. My name is Paul Casey, your host of Voices of Experience. If you'd like to call me at 206-459-5536, I'd like to talk about anything as it relates to experience in whatever walk of life you were involved with, that's 206-459-5536. Back with Rick, Ito, and Chester in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. I hosted a radio show in the mid-1990s by the name of Voices of Experience. And in that program, I had a segment called Profiles of Experience. And one of the people I profiled at the time was the peanut man by the name of Rick Kaminsky. I knew Rick pretty well and uh, really enjoyed his infectious personality and his great aim. But rather than going into great detail here, I think it says it all by the interview I had with him. His just his desire to learn, his sense of humor, and greeting life with so much excitement day in and day out. Our guest this week on U.S. West Profiles of Experience is Rick Kaminsky, but much better known as the Peanut Man at the Kingdom. 
He even refers to himself as a major league nut. Rick has been pitching peanuts in the kingdom for over 22 years. And Rick, how did you become the peanut man? Well, actually, it's a strange story. As you know from, from our past, I was a... Uh, I was a Vietnam vet, and I was uh, at Shoreline Community College, where I was student body president, where I happened to meet you, and you were student body president at, at Wazoo. That's right. And uh, from there, I went to the UW on the GI Bill, and uh, boy, after, <laughs> after the four years, I took a break from school and decided to go to work to get a breather at the Kingdom. 22 years ago. Yeah, it was. 22 years ago. Uh, well, actually, 21 years ago, and this is just the beginning of my 22nd year. Rick, what's an event at the Kingdom that stands out in your mind in, like, 21 years that just really was something very special? From my perspective, uh, Chicago White Sox uh, bullpen gave me a standing O one time for a, for a shot I threw, for a number of shots, actually, I threw in their area when they were looking. That's very unusual, but I was really honored because they were professionals, you know. All right. Also, one time, this is actually in 95, a group of visiting Japanese school kids were there, and <laughs> one of them came up and told me that I was famous. I was a hero in Japan. In Japan? <laughs> I said, who knew? You know? I never get out there. Ken Griffey Jr. and Rick Kaminsky. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> and then uh, after Chris Brosio threw his no-hitter a few years back, he, sure. uh, he signed a T-shirt calling me the best arm in the West. Probably the most embarrassing moment I've had was, you know, somebody will... Go up, I tell them to use two hands. They put their hands right in front of their face, and they don't close their hands in time. The bag goes right through their hands, and they're eating peanuts the hard way, bag and all. Before they wanted to. Well, you got to take them out of the shell. I recommend it. Hey, Rick, before we leave this morning, what uh, current projects are you working on? Oh, I'm, I'm currently beginning a, an association with the Liquidators Outlets. We've been talking to Rick Kaminsky, the peanut man, known as a major league nut. Now, he, that's on his card. I didn't say that. <laughs> Rick, true, thank you true. very much for uh, being with us this morning on U.S. West Profiles of Experience. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. See you down at the Dome. Yes, Rick, we saw you down at the Dome for many more years, and then at Safeco Field. I believe that he was tossing peanuts in the King Dome and at Safeco Field for over 35 years. Amazing. You know, at this point, we often say uh, this individual was one in a million. Well, you know... Anybody knows that I'm not exaggerating when I say Rick Kaminsky was one in a million, most definitely. My commentary today is on the dynamics of family and friends in your business. Generally speaking, seeking business advice, or let's say even more, a partnership in your business should be discouraged. Family and friends are for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and vacations. I have seen many businesses get into trouble because you really can't separate your business from personal relationships. One of the main reasons I think that people want to have a family member or a good friend involved in business, you have some relationship with them, some history, and mainly you think that you can trust that individual. Look back. Have you been duped a lot? If so, that means you score low in the part of my quiz, which asks if you exercise good judgment. And if you do, you will find if an individual's approaching you and wanting to do business with you is trustworthy. If your gut tells you they're not, run. A 
true Seattle baseball legend, Ito Vanny, is with us this morning on Profiles of Experience. He grew up in Seattle, attending Queen Anne High School, and had the first hit, first stolen base, and scored the first run at 6 Seattle Stadium that stood in the heart of Rainier Valley between 1939 and 1978. He was a player on three championship Seattle Rainier baseball teams of the Pacific Coast League. He was also manager and general manager in later years of the Seattle Rainiers. He was also the director of sales for the Seattle Pilots during their one and only major league year in the Pacific Northwest. Good morning, Mr. Vanny, and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Do you think Seattle proved it was a baseball town last fall? I've always said that Seattle was a baseball town from back in the golden areas of 1939, 40, and 41, when Mr. Sick took over the franchise and built a new stadium out there in Rainier Valley called Sick Stadium. I've always said if you give Seattle a winner, the people would go out in the cow pasture to watch you play. What did you make as a player for the Rainiers in 1939? In 1939, I made $250 a month, plus $3 a day meal money, which wasn't an awful lot, but I had a lot of incentive clauses in my contract. Well, what do you think about player salaries today? Well, I, I think the player salaries might be a little out of line, but if they keep getting out of line, even if we build a new stadium, they're going to have to scale a house seats, prices of the seats to accommodate the salaries that are going to come in because those uh, those suites up there, not everybody's going to be able to go up there and sit in those suites. You've got to think of the poor soul that brings a wife and uh, four kids to a ball game. They've got to have seats for those people to come. They're the best salesmen you got around. And if they can't go to the ball game, who's going to go? Do you think the uh, baseball strike permanently hurt baseball? I think it did, and I certainly hope that it doesn't ever happens again. But if they do, if they have another baseball strike, they might as well pack up and find a good padlock for these doors on these stadiums because the people will not put up with it. Why do you think that baseball is so enduring and so popular? Well, it's always been a popular game because it's a simple game. The rules haven't changed in 100 years except for this DH that they have. And uh, it's the same confines. You're still playing the same game with the bat and ball and the glove. And the fundamentals of the game are still the same. If you want to bunt, you've got to be able to bunt a guy over. you got to hit and run or a stolen base. The only thing that I'd say that it's upgraded to baseball is probably the playing fields that they have today. And probably the uh, uniforms. You played in those wool suits that were, I imagine, extremely hot. We'd go into Sacramento. The temperature would be 115, 118, 120, and you play in those wool suits. And, boy, it was hot. Yeah, we had a 200-game schedule in those days. We played uh, uh, a week in each town, which was, uh, which was a good thing because you could unpack your clothes and you could set up house like you wanted, you know, and you'd be going to the ballpark each day and you'd probably face one pitcher on Tuesday and you'd see him again on Sunday or Saturday night, which was very helpful. And you learned uh, to set up schedules on your own little scorecard, how this guy pitched me and got me out the time before. How am I going to hit him again on Saturday night or Sunday? Well, what was your favorite team that you played on and why? Well, my favorite team that I played on here in Seattle was the 1940 team. As a team and as a unit, they played together with good teamwork. And to me, the 1940 team was probably the best one that, that I had here. And I also was associated with many other pennant winners here in Seattle. Baseball legend, Ido Vanny, thank you very much for spending time in Voices of Experience. Thank you, Paul.
following is just a short clip that airs on HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, and this segment is called New Rules. And finally, new rule, conspiracy theories have to go back to what they used to be. Fun little stories we would tell each other when we were high. (laughs) Space aliens crashed in Roswell. Hitler escaped to Argentina. Elvis is alive and working at the IHOP. (laughs) That's what conspiracy theories used to be. But now they're the ideology of the Republican Party. I never liked Rush Limbaugh, but I would take a return to 90s era ditto heads any day, because it turned out that Rush was really just a gateway drug <laughs> to which they eventually built up a tolerance and then needed something stronger. That was Glenn Beck, which led to Alex Jones. And now, Republicans, you're the Alex Jones party. There is literally nothing too stupid and conspiratorial that you will not swallow. Hillary running a child sex ring out of a pizza parlor. Sounds right. Obama's birth certificate, fake. This week, we found out that 83% of Republicans either definitely believe or are unsure whether five million people voted illegally in the last election, something Trump just completely made up. This isn't about ideology anymore. Trump has none anyway. When he decided to run, he didn't brush up on conservatism by studying Buckley and Reagan. And this isn't about actual Republicans either. Those guys are gone. George Bush the first quit the NRA in 1995 when some gun nuts called the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Jackbooted thugs. Bush said it deeply offended his sense of decency and honor. But when Alex Jones says children fake their own deaths at Sandy Hook, it doesn't deter Trump from telling him, your reputation is amazing, I'll not, I will not let you down. The latest thing, Trump, is this nonsense about the FBI spying on him. There was no spy. It was just the Bureau checking out whether someone on the Trump campaign was communicating with Russia based on the tiny fact that everybody in the Trump campaign was communicating with Russia. It's what the FBI does. Investigation. It's in their name. But Spygate, there's literally nothing. And that is so alarming because one way we measure the health of a society is by how conspiratorial it is. Communist countries, Arab dictatorships, those places you could always sell anything because there was no trust in the institutions. Republicans, that's what you're doing to this country. The only answer is that more sane people have to vote than insane people in every election. So tell your sane friends that the midterms are the most important election of their lives and tell your conservative friends that climate scientists are working with the Clintons to slip a chemical into the air ducts at polling places that will turn everyone who votes gay. That's Bill Maher with Real Time on HBO. partial owner of the Tacoma Rainiers uh, several years ago. And it's great going down to Cheney Stadium to see some of the games there. You see a lot of Seattle Mariners actually come through there and to play only up in the big leagues at Safeco Field. Another individual makes it such a pleasure is a man by the name of Chester Rito. And he works as an usher in the dugout club. And he is a walking encyclopedia 
when it comes to baseball. He grew up in Brooklyn. I sat down with him last Saturday night in a bench. You'll hear some of the crowd of the Tacoma Rainiers game in the background. And my first question to him, how did he find his love for baseball? Well, when I was a young lad and wore smaller clothes, my dad and mom would take me down to Ebbets Field. And Ebbets Field was one of those little bandbox asymmetrical ballpark in Brooklyn that was down there uh, in the 50s when I was a young lad. Of course, the history of baseball and the Dodgers are synonymous, but they got their name because my dad used to tell me that they got their name because the trolleys used to end at Ebbets Field and people would have to dodge around the trolley cars to get into the field uh, to watch the baseball game there. So Ebbets Field was my first start. And I was lucky enough to see players like Jackie Robinson and Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese for one of two reasons. One, they were our heroes, of course, because we were not allowed to go to Yankee Stadium and see the uh, Yankees play baseball. But most of those players lived right in the neighborhoods where we used to play. So we would see them walking up and down the street, going and buying groceries. And uh, it, it made it uh, very homey type of environment so you felt like you know the people there it's a very close ballpark uh you sat right on the field pretty much only held 26,000, but uh it was enjoyable now how heartbroken were you when they moved west well now that i've had the uh, wisdom of a few years to look back i knew it was the right move but at the time everybody went silent because we never believed it was true it just couldn't be true um, I'm not sure that any time you lose a hero that you believe of that is actually happening. But it got to the point where it took focus a few days afterwards. In fact, the Giants were the first ones to leave. Brooklyn didn't leave until after the Giants went out to San Francisco. Horace Stodham made the move because the Giants were losing money. They never lost money in Brooklyn. But if you look at the dynamics of how the... Uh, people changed the environments in New York. Uh, it was a good move for the Giants and, of course, the Dodgers, but we were heartbroken. Uh, it was like a member of the family had left. So what is it about baseball that you love? I mean, and I guess the question I like to ask directly is, like, do you remember the moment when you just fell in love with the sport? Was there one moment or was there a series of moments? There really wasn't any moment. I just fell in love with it. it was, I, I grew up with it, and when you grow up in something, you don't question it. It's part of who you are. Uh, the thing about baseball to me is that no matter where you are, um, you take a bat and a ball and you can have a game. And at springtime, um, the flowers come up, the grass becomes green, and baseball becomes alive. And baseball, as I've said to lots of people, is a game of hope because everybody comes to the ballpark and maybe today will be the day that I catch a ball. And on that day... If I don't, it'll be the next day. So there's always optimism at the ballpark. Everybody's going to win the pennant at the beginning of the season, and then slowly it sits in, but every year it renews. How did you get to Tacoma? Series of employment deals. I used to sell furniture for J.C. Penney, and in my travels I've always wanted to go to different places around the United States. Came to New York, went to Mexico City for six years, where I studied to become a teacher. Teaching wasn't the best thing to do, uh, even though I got my degrees. So I started selling furniture, 
and we started to work for Penny's down in San Francisco and eventually came into Tacoma where I worked up here for 31 years. And so how did you find your way to Cheney? I called up one day because I was uh, out of work, I had retired, and I was bored. And so on, on Strictly a Lark, I, saw, I said, gee, maybe they could use an old guy out of Cheney Stadium. And I owe that favor to uh, Mallory, who picked up the phone, and I explained my situation. She said, do you have any personal experience with the public? And I said, yes, I sold furniture for several years. And what about baseball? I said, well, I grew up with my dad uh, in Brooklyn. We sold pencils outside of the stadium for a nickel. And at those times, you could buy pencils, which said Brooklyn Dodgers on it. And we sold them with the scorecards, which cost a quarter. And what year was that about? 1953. Okay. And so she said, come on in. And I didn't. I had never met her. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew where Cheney Stadium was because it must have been a foreboding of truth because five years before, I won a car on car night that Stan Nacarado used to have out here. And the car was so big, I couldn't even fit it in my garage. But I call, came out here and spoke to Mallory when the offices were on Union. And I talked with her in about 30 minutes, and she said, that's it, you're hired. And that was the greatest time that I could ever have because it made me a little boy again, which I had forgotten about. Uh, so we've been here? I've been here nine years. And uh, it was enjoyable. And when I got around the people and I started getting the excitement back into me, I figured out what can I do for them. And I tell stories, bring a paper once in a while, make sure they have a good time. And sometimes that's the important thing because then you get them to tell you their story. And you talk to somebody who remembers when his dad brought him as a little boy in 1962 to Cheney Stadium to see the Giants and their eyes light up and you can just see the relevance that they're telling their story to somebody who's telling you about the same thing. And it makes us all good. It makes us all good. Final question. Sure. Um, you uh, watched a lot of games, experienced a lot of seasons. Is there one game or season that sticks out in your mind as being your very favorite? Well, that's a tough question to answer because what I've seen, I, I yeah, I'll be honest with you because um, I can't tell you the year because it happened many times. The Dodgers always used to play in the Yankees uh, in the World Series except for 1951 and 1954. And as a kid, I would be walking home from elementary school. And in those days, there was no air conditioning. Everybody sat on the stoops. And I could walk home from my elementary school, walking among the neighborhood with the windows of the apartments open and I could hear Vince Scully broadcast the game on the way home as I walked. So when I got home, I knew exactly what happened by the time I got there. And that's, there's no one thing I could call a highlight in my uh, career other than that because that was special. You have to envision people on a stoop on a July afternoon or a June afternoon sitting there listening to the ball game on the radio because TV was in its infancy. And it wasn't until years later that came into prominence. But think about walking on a city street listening to the background noise of the radios in different parts of the city. And then Vince Scully on top of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing. Sakes, he just retired, what, two years ago? That's that? right. 
amazing, amazing man. Wow. He had one of the voices, and that's that's part of baseball, the sounds of the game, uh, the sounds of microphones, uh, the different noises that you hear. And one other thing I can tell you, Paul, one of my greatest feelings is that after the game, sometimes you'll see me more often than not sitting down after my shift listening to what happened here before. It's an amazing thing. That's Chester Rito and an interview I had with him last Saturday night at Tacoma's Cheney Stadium. I could go on and have an interview with him for another several hours. I mean, we just scratched the surface in this interview, and I will have him back sometime in the future. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my phone number is 206-459-5536. That's 206-459-5536. Thank you to Rick Kaminsky, the peanut man, and to Ido Vanny. I consider to be Mr. Baseball in Seattle. I mean, he was born here, went to high school here played AAA baseball here, managed here, and was also involved in the first Major League Baseball team in Seattle, the Seattle Pilots. And to Chester Rito, who is doing a great job with the Tacoma Rainiers down at Cheney Stadium, and he is the host of the Dugout Club there and does a great job along with Pat and many others. I'm going to leave you with this quote, deep and simple is far more essential than shallow or complex. That's from Mr. Fred Rogers, and that was from the documentary I saw called Welcome to the Neighborhood. Very, very well done. Learned a lot about Fred Rogers and much more to the man than I ever thought. Congratulations to the West Seattle Little League baseball team who became state champions over the weekend and will be representing the state of Washington in California next week for the regionals. Then hopefully on to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, for the Little League World Series. By the way, I live in West Seattle. So now I'd like to leave you with a song that came from 2008, and it was celebrating the great season of the Seattle Mariners talking baseball. And this is just a slice of that song from Terry Cashman. Have a great rest of the week. Well, Lou's crew had done it. Edgar's double won it. And Mariner fans were dancing in the dome The playoff drought had finally died Joey Chorus sat and cried A three-game sweep of the Yankees sent those pinstripes home We're talking baseball Russ Davis and Pinella Mariner's baseball Tino Bobby Ayala Oh, the heat that Randy Johnson threw There was Edgar, the bone, and Wilson too And there was A June.